Hello and welcome to the Carbitrage Podcast, episode 216. I'm Eric Berger, joined as always by my co-host Ryan Sinitsky. Hi, sir. Hey. We are outdoors, which is kind of strange. Yeah, and live at the auto show. And it's really weird um, (laughs) actually hearing our intro. Like, it kind of threw me off. I'm not used to, like, hearing our intro. I only ever hear it when I go back and listen to one of the episodes just to make sure that it went through okay. Yeah, like, but I mean, like, I'm not, like, used to, like, I I usually hear the the intro and then I just go on and do my thing while I listen to our podcast to make sure I'm not, like, a complete lunatic. It, <laughs> it, uh, it's amazingly well mastered. I feel like the quality kind of takes a cut when we throw it onto iTunes and uh, Spotify. But yeah, it was nice to hear. Yeah. So but anyway, yeah, like you said, we're back at the Minneapolis St. Paul Auto Show. They invited us back to podcast live once again, but there's a couple changes. Yes, we are outside <laughs> and not at the convention center, which is actually, I'm not going to lie, I like it. Me too. Uh, this is better than truck country for sure. Yeah, because we're not truck people, so it was like... My entire commentary last time was me making fun of trucks. I think. Well, and crossovers because they had some. They had like a what was a, a lifted atlas in there as well. Yeah, it's some <laughs> just nonsense. But I mean, like, so yeah, it's really cool. Plus, this time they provided me with and beer, That's... a Grain Belt uh, Northeast, which that... uh, I am going to drink. And I, I have a bottle of water because I picked mm, the worst delicious. possible month to not have any beer. Yeah, you really did. But um, but they did offer me one for the record. Yeah, that's true, but you chose not to because you're a man of your word. But. <laughs> you were going to say I was a little B. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's totally fine. Um, but yeah, anyway, we'll touch on the, uh, the venue a little bit more and the show itself as we get into topics. But uh, first, I want to briefly touch on our Patreon page patreon.com forward slash carbitrage on this open-ended level sorry content support mechanism for content consumers like you to support content producers like us you'll find two open-ended levels of support on there and uh, that will get you a free koozie some merch and also access to our discord which is very lively in addition to being able to provide us some topics we have Uh, both Podcast and podcast koozies because we have the original podcast. Yes, we have the podcast with the screwed logo. Yeah. We have the black and white good <laughs> podcast and the color good I, podcast. I really think we here. should just keep all of our koozie designs going like as <laughs> an ongoing joke for just like go back to the good company and ask them to screw them up yeah, on could, purpose. Could you make this exact one as it is or says podcast? <laughs> I even kind of like the the butchered black and white logo. It's it looks good. I actually kind of like it. Like, and I I'm did, not mad about it. I did bring a Sharpie, so if somebody wants an honorary podcast koozie, they, can come. they are welcome to come get one from yes. us to keep their beer cold. In fact, I should be using one on my bottle of water. Uh, but anyway, let's uh, get into topics real quick. Sounds good. Um, you have the first one. Yes, I do. So it's actually a carryover from our last episode where I mentioned briefly that I had made the dumbest decision I've ever made as far as aftermarket car parts. That is a big claim from you. I've, I've built some really dumb stuff, and I think I've really outdone myself here where I chose, um, I found on a D-Series, a Honda Civic D-Series like Facebook group, a guy was doing a short run of individual throttle body adapter uh, manifolds. Is this the one that used those CBR1000 manifolds yeah. we looked at? Okay. Yeah. So he uses CBR1000 manifolds, which is like great because it's like uh $50 set of individual throttle bodies that are roughly the size of a D-series intake manifold. That uh, eBay link is still open on the other yeah. podcast oh, computer good. at the studio. So I will know to buy it. Um, <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm worried about Echo. It's the yeah. bottom knob. Perfect. All right. So um, if we could get it further away, we could crank it up more. But if I turn it up now, we get feedback immediately. So um, 
Anyway, the uh, D-Series uh, individual throttle body manifold, it was like 400 bucks. It was okay. actually a good deal. And did that so come I, with, sorry, did that come with provisions for idle air and all the other yeah, stuff you need yeah, for PDMFI? Yeah, he PDM gave me an option of how I want to have like coolant fed. He's like, do you want a barb or do you want the normal like plug? I'm like, I'll stick the normal plug because I'm going to do this as simply as possible. The correct answer, I believe, is AN. Yeah, th there was also an AN option as well. I just, I went with the original style just so... I can get it all going without having to do anything extra weird. I gotcha. That's probably smart. Yeah, the whole point of like doing that engine build is like it's gonna have a bunch of aftermarket parts on it, but I'm gonna try and make it like look like it's all kind of meant to be. Okay. So like, I'm, I don't want to have like crazy looking like like individual throttle body trumpets or anything. I may like keep like some like relatively factory looking trumpets on it. Okay. So they're not gonna be like neochrome or anything. <laughs> they're gonna be. <laughs> Like, probably wrinkle black with, like, a polished inside. Okay. Um, but, yeah, like, all in, it's, like, 500 bucks thereabouts. And like that's the adapter. Including all the shipping with the individual throttle bodies and everything. Like Now, on a D-series of that vintage, that would you keep PGM-RFI, or would you have to go with a standalone? I have to, do with, I have to go with the standalone. Uh, and then you just well, do actually, like I don't have to. I could probably run Honda on it, because now I've got... Uh, it, it actually has all the provisions to let you run, a, like a factory chipped computer. Okay. So, do those do speed density, or what do they use for metering? metering? Uh, yes, they do. Nice. They, well, they they don't they don't have like an actual like flap like map sensor or map full airflow sensor. Yeah, but um, yeah, no, they use speed density, which is really nice. They've always done that. So, like, yeah, it's got all the provisions, but just to make things easier, and so I can just make sure that everybody can do it and probably run like a, the cheapest am infinity that you okay. can get so are those like a thousand bucks yeah okay That's so basically i'm spending about 1500 dollars to make an extra mm, 12 oh, horsepower <laughs> but on a d-series that's more than 10 percent of the total power yeah, output. exactly and also it's gonna the in the angle with this engine i've never wanted it to be like super fast i wanted it to rev really high and sure. it does and now it revs it, is this one of those cases where you, you have your cam profile and you stop making power like 2,000 RPM before you shift? No, I stopped making our power about 1,000 RPM before I shift. But that sets you up perfectly for the meat of the, you know, the power band when you It also sets then. me up for being able to have a tachometer goes to 10,000 RPM oh and be able, to, like, be able to redline onto that. So <laughs> Is this a 1.5 or a 1.6? It's a 1.6. It's a 1.6. Okay. Uh, it's a uh, D16A6, which is like a 91 Civic Si bottom end. Oh. Okay, um, right. And some blueprinted to factory specs. Then Don't you have like a Z5 or Z6 head on it? It's got a Y8 head. Y8, so I got because okay. the Y8 has a slightly smaller combustion chamber. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, I got a Y8 head for like super cheap. And when, back when I worked at MA Performance, I had them build this because this was originally going in the, in the CRX like five years ago, six, okay. seven years ago. It was a long time ago. But um, then it just like kind of did nothing because Hondas constantly get stolen, and if like unless it's something really dumb that I want to build, I'm not going to put any money into a Honda. Um, so I actually like it, now I have something very dumb to build, so I'm going to build a dumb Honda. So I mean, it still sounds like fun, and I love the the aspect of it most that uses a sixty dollar throttle body throttle body set. That's kind of a throwaway. I know, yeah, and it, like it just utilizes that to make like it, to be able to rev. And like the issue was like before, like it wasn't like really an issue, but something that's kind of like meh about was I was actually like would be running into issues where I'd be like 
really running into like airflow issues like at about 9,000 RPM. Okay. And then now that I've got individual, individual throttle bodies, it's not a problem. No. So. <laughs> I mean, even a CBR 1000 set of throttle bodies, I mean, you're not talking a massively different set of uh, displacement characteristics between a D16 and a CBR 1000, especially when you're talking about, you know, the pumping of literage. Oh, is that a Mustang? Oh, God. Everyone. Oh, done. That is a really tasteless Cobra. It is. It's like red and silver. Does he, oh, did he, is he like going to run over pedestrians? It looks like he he chromed the license plate. It is area. like a heck blend that but is chromed. chromed. It is it's awesome. absolutely That's, terrible. No, nothing says tasteful like a chromed heck blender. <laughs> <laughs> on a convertible Mustang GT. But yeah, so like on the Civic, because I was originally building that and then like, Every one of my friends had their Honda stolen. I just literally didn't do anything with it. I have a bunch of really cool parts that are now vintage parts for it. Okay. Because I bought these parts like 10 years ago. <laughs> and so I got like a Osaka JDM, like super rare extended rear wing. Um, I've got my Mugen MR5 wheels. Are those off of your CRX? Yeah, I was running okay. the CRX for a little bit. Um, I do I got, like those. Yeah, they're really good wheels. But yeah, I just saw you a bunch of like just random little bits and pieces. I think I have a uh, UK... Civic VTI uh, instrument cluster. What does that get you? Uh, it gives me the, I think it's a 9,000 RPM tachometer factory with a uh, 100 and, uh, I think like 160 mile per hour Imperial speedometer. Oh, nice. Yeah. So. Does it have the... Oh, uh, and orange lights. I was going to say, it probably also has like a completely screwed up fuel sender range. No, it's... Uh, no, it's, it's totally normal, but yeah, because like everything else, they kept, they kept the same. On the, on the VTI for the UK. So, like, the fuel center and everything, it all, like, works from, like, whatever country it's from. What I really want is I wanted something, like, from Greece or somewhere so I'd have some goofy character for the E and the F. <laughs> like, I was really actively looking for one for a long time. I was like, I either wanted... Because I know in, um, in Russia, they used acrylic. So was, a Russian one would be really cool. The Greek one uses Gre uh, Greek characters. So it actually uses writing, because, like, German vehicles, well, they, they almost always just use an icon for something. Well, they use an E and the F, but okay. it's a, in a different character instead of, like, what we have. So, like, for if it's, like, Krill, it could be, like, a backwards, like, sideways <laughs> H or something. Is it the R with, like, three lines through it? Yeah, exactly. Like, it would be some goofy character, so. At least it's not a number of leaders. It's, that's one of my favorite things about, like, building old Hondas. I kind of, like, forgot about that, is that um, there's just so many factory weirdo parts that were from around the world, where it's, like, I think if you... And they're plug-and-play. Yeah, and like if you took the like, number of variants of Civics in the world and you made one of each of them in every color as available, you'd have more variant, more individual Honda Civics than you would ha actually have people on Earth. <laughs> <laughs> and so they obviously, there's like combinations that just don't even exist. You might be right because multiplication and logarithmic curves are pretty intense, but yeah. at the same time, that it's is like a literally bold what it claim. is. It's just a bunch of like weird, like that's like seven billion variations. Yeah, there's a lot of variations, of like factory like parts, six billion. And it's like a lot of the things, are like because you could get like you get options on like these early '90s Hondas and these like mid '90s Hondas from the Honda Access catalog that like really rivaled that of like muscle cars, like back in the '60s, or like Honda Access, like. I've just seen, there's so many things, like, you just, you go on Google or eBay, you type in Honda Access EF, and you see all sorts of bananas things. That's A-X-S-E-S? Yeah. So I think I've, I've heard of that before, at least on, like, Gran Turismo. Yeah, that, that was, like, their, um, like, dealer optional parts. So okay. it wasn't necessarily, like, TRD or something. Sorry. But be, like, their, like, just, like, 
extra weirdo parts catalog that they had. I gotcha. So I, I can't think of another brand that really does anything like that. Because, like, other brands that give TRD where you get, like, a supercharger for a Yaris, but, like, uh, for, with the Honda Access, you could actually get, like, just, like, totally bananas parts where it's, like, you can get under tray storage for your Wagavan, and then you can get, like, a flare that, like, mounts, like, behind your rearview mirror or something, and just, like, all sorts of weird things, like umbrella holders and stuff but was like that. It- Honda part numbered, or was it just yeah? Like it was a all part Honda number? part numbered. Okay. Yeah, it was really, really, really so wild. It's kind of like how was good at that in the eighties. Yeah, like they were really, really good about that, and it's just like it's so goofy. Like <laughs> just some of the things that you could get. Um, so yeah, I really forgot about that, and that's like one of the things. I'm like, oh yeah, that's how I love Hondas. Also, that's why I'm not building Hondas ever because I'm gonna have all these weird parts. I'll never be able to re- like replace them if they ever get stolen. So, oh, and which the car so, will get stolen. Yeah, and so I, if Jan is here for the next one, we'll talk about her Accord <laughs> saga. Oh, and they have two mics, so it's going to be tougher. But at least we can uh, recap it for the well, audience. Well, she's usually fairly uh, quiet anyway, so it's like she has... Uh, True. Yeah, it's like she's talking from across the table anyway. <laughs> All right, so topic number two. Um, this is something that actually came across our desk, I think, three weeks ago. But since we didn't podcast last week due to our you know State Fair time slot, yeah. kinda, or sorry, auto show at the State Fair yes. time slot. Um, the NHRA has officially released two performance EV categories officially. You actually added this, and I was about to add it, and I saw it was already in here, because the comments were hilarious. It So many boomers were just ass-mass. Super <laughs> angry for nothing. And there's quite a few pretty potent EV drag cars already yeah. that are kind of kind of putting the hurt down in categories. So right now, I read through a few articles that I can find, and unfortunately, there isn't much going on yet. So there's a factory class for things like you know Tesla Ludicrous cars, but there's also an unlimited class, which pretty much every other EV has to run in. So Elon Musk already made the plaid speed to go on the Nürburgring, and plaid speed is a play off of Spaceballs. Correct. So is Ludicrous. Yeah. And so, so it was insane. Yeah, so I'm just wondering that he now has plaid speed, so he has nothing to go off of for that. So I wonder what fandom he's going to switch to. Oh, that's a good question. Oh what my god, I hope plaid? it's called Grayskull. That'd be what? great. Grayskull, like from Shira and He Man. I don't know what Castle that is. Castle Grayskull. I'll see. You should get closer to your mic. Castle Grayskull. I don't. Like, I've never seen He Man or Shira. What? I don't know what that is. It's like. Girls, He-Man. It's actually better than He-Man. I, I, I know the character. Like, I could place it in a lineup. But I have that. the power. And then, like, she says, by the for the honor of Grayskull. I don't want anyway, to Anyway, I'm 100% confident that Elon Musk will call his drag car the, like, Grayskull. <laughs> well, he's perfect. A, he is a troll. I know he is. It's perfect. Okay. Well, either way, I'm very excited to see exactly what happens when they expand the category. Because right now... I mean, putting an unlimited car that runs sixes in the same category as one that runs tens is not going to end up well for bracket racing or anything no, like that. No, it's totally destroy it. So I'm guessing this year we'll have a lot of very angry electric drag owners, but next year maybe they'll expand it a little bit more. Well, I think there's another thing, you know, going back to the people's or the fans. Oh, no. No, no. Going back to the fans' response um, of about this announcement and yeah. everybody's just losing their minds it just reminded me i'm like <laughs> these people are the same people are mad when they started using fuel injection yeah like, they're just mad about everything forever if it doesn't have a carburetor i'm, I'm sure their great grandpa was mad that they quit allowing <laughs> steam cars like <laughs> he's still daily driving his stanley steamer it takes him like yeah. eight hours to go to the corner store and back yeah we can go 120 miles an hour with it with like no brakes <laughs> that'd be perfect you just have to heat up the boiler for five hours first that's yeah exactly it's yeah there, there's a 
things change like for a reason like there's a reason that we don't use carburetors or everything well, anymore there and they don't go away it just gives people the opportunity to have new technology yeah it's like it didn't kill thing. carburetor i mean it did in production vehicles but like plus they were gonna been, go away eventually i've been told that gm killed the electric car already do you so. think do you think people were mad when they started putting pneumatic tires yeah i actually know for a fact they were <laughs> mad about that because i remember uh, when I just like studying weird old car stuff that, yeah, people were super mad when they started putting pneumatic tires on cars. Yeah, if it's not a wood wheel, I'm not interested. Yeah, I know. With I, a steel rim on it? No, I, I, want, I want just a, a plug of rubber on my, my wood wheel. I want every I want, bump in the road for better road feel. I want durability. <laughs> yeah, because durability, yeah. Even though the, they crack in half the whole wheel. <laughs> so anyway, I'm going to move on for, uh, from this because, yeah, that's... Wonderful. I think that if you're not a fan of EV drag cars, I think you're just sorry that time happens. Like, it, it, it is what it is. It's They're not, not taking away around. your top fuel. You're okay. Correct. Like, you're still going to have other vehicles. You're just going to have an, an additional class, so you're okay. Plus, let's be honest, wearing earplugs at a drag strip is not the most fun thing in the entire world. I don't wear earplugs at drag strips. Well, you should. I just deal with it. Fine. Well, I used to go to heavy metal concerts. I already have tinnitus, so... Isn't it pronounced tinnitus? Yeah, it's a, fa- it's a cruel mistress. All right, fine. Um, but anyway, I'll move on because I want to talk about like my stone-cold, undervalued car lock of the century of the week. Sorry, that is a lot of words. I'm going to need you to go ahead and <laughs> my, like My stone-cold, <laughs> like, Austin. this car is going to be the car to buy, where it's just like a car that is super undervalued, and if you want one, buy it literally right now. So it's a 2021, buy it right now. It is like a... May 15th, 2021, buy it right now. Okay. It's like they're very undervalued, and um, there's a lot of um, a lot of people that are really interested in them. The FDRX7. Those have already been appreciating no. forever. They're really kind of like, I think that they're going to take off. Because like right now, there's I've had a lot of cars where they've very, very similar, like, prices but vastly different conditions okay that i've seen that have been like just kind of going through various auctions not just like bring a trailer but like cars and bids and everybody else are just kind of watching their value and when you start seeing that where it's like the cheap ones start like really evening out because like the cheap ones are like did they do automatics did they do non-turbos they were all turbo they were all manual that's pretty cool. Yeah, I've, well, maybe they did an automatic. I've yet to see an automatic, ever. That would be so terrible. I've never seen that. I could Let's be wrong. just they didn't. I, I, I mean, don't think they did, but they might have. But You can't really spin a torque converter from the 90s that fast. That was yeah, kind of the problem. That's kind of, yeah. And so they, um, like, I've just seen a lot of them where just, like, if you look at their values as well, like, um, I actually have a link to Brand Trailer's handy-dandy little um, graph that they make. Okay. But if you see it's like they're all kind of like sitting there, and if you look at the bottom of the graph, it's coming up. That and looks the like top the top hasn't moved yet. The fulvia curve or the jaguar. Yeah, exactly. Where the the cheap ones, like the the cheap ones, aren't coming through anymore. And if you start looking like what the cheap ones are, what is like the median price transaction price of an FD? Like thirty grand. That's about medium. So that still seems like they must have appreciated to thirty grand like ten years ago and just stayed there. Kind of. That's what they did. Like they were the first to like they appreciated. Before the Super and the NSX, and they've just not done anything since. I think that they're doing kind of that Jaguar thing where it's just like... Jag. Where they just like, they're all sitting there, and now like all you need is just the right couple of cars to like really send them through the roof. Sure. 
And then once you start seeing, like, if you start seeing, like, a later model, like, uh, a later model American one that's in really good condition and, like, the right color, like, in yellow or something, that will just send it skyrocketing. What's so important about the American specification? I was just saying, FD? like, just something, like, okay. where you don't, you don't see them as often. I mean, the American one's probably the most attainable. That's sure. the one that people know. We start getting to the Japanese market cars, and it's kind of like a little wild land of, like, different quality and stuff. I mean, yeah, uh, and obviously, like, the, like, Spirit R1 or whatever it is from, like, 2001, like, those are already bananas. <laughs> they were going to continue to be bananas. That's, that's like, basing the value of the car off, like, basing R34's value off of, like, a R34 GTR NUR. Okay. Which is a normal one. I where it's, it's, like, what I'm saying is, like, once you start seeing, if you see, like, a really, like, a normal American one that's in just, like, perfect condition, I think that with uh, the right photo set, with full records with a really clean Carfax and no issues on its history. Uh, kind of like the uh, first $100,000 Supra, where it's just like a perfect example of a Supra. Once you see that, I think these are, you're going to see it go for like seventy grand. But you don't want to be on the buying end of that. You want to buy that you, car you want to buy now. no records. You really want to buy it right, right now. Well, even then. Like, are, they just, are they worried because of rotary things? Is that why they haven't appreciated yet? I mean, obviously I, they got I a bump think, from I the Fast and the Furious. I think that's part of it. Because um, like FCs, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, and they just yeah. are stagnated. They're super cheap. Yeah, they're really great buys. But I think the FD is because um, that's the one that's just like the most sought after, and it's, well, it's a much better car. It's also arguably one of the most beautiful cars of the 1990s. So it had a lot of tech too. Yeah, it had a sequential ton of turbos really, and all that other really, stuff. Have you ever seen the stereo, the Bose Acousta sound stereo? It this like or oh Acousta wave stereo it had a, like a tiny subwoofer in the back, and it went through these like wavy little plastic tubes all the way around the trunk area and then up into the back seats. They're pretty cool looking. That sounds a lot like their Acoustamass subwoofer that you got with those little cube systems in the 90s. It was very similar to that, yeah. Like 30 meters of tubing inside of a one square foot box. It's kind of what it was like, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so if I think if you find one that's like low miles, American, uh, good mileage, I mean, even if you're on the buying end, like I think buying that car now, you have a safe bet to make much more money like coming down the road but if you buy that sh should you buy a seventy thousand dollar one with full records or should you buy one that's got less of a service history but still in excellent are, condition are, for half are, that what are you using it for like if you're using it as a collector yes but if you're going to use it to enjoy it then buy the cheaper one because you can okay. always get a cheaper one that's been rebuilt and has like a re most of them are going to have rebuilt engines because it's just well i would hope so in fact, that's something I'd probably look for if I bought one. I, I think it'd be, if it was one that's an original engine, super low miles, that hasn't needed a rebuild and has good compression ratio like test like that's recorded, um, then you might actually, like th that'd be probably the one that hit 70,000 over the rebuilt engine. I've actually never seen anyone compression test a rotary before. They have like a whole special like. machine that does it, yeah. What's like an average cylinder pressure for well, one of those? Well, I think it's like one... 100 to 120 is okay, so a little lower than a piston a equivalent. little lower than the piston equivalent but like you're also getting three compression strokes per rotation so well yeah it's a yeah. three-stroke engine technically in fact we're going to talk about that a little so bit later they actually um yeah they test each face on it so okay. instead of having like you have your like one per cylinder you have three per cylinder right because really they're testing weird. the yeah. respective like adjacent seals exactly yeah so yeah it's really weird watching them but yeah i think uh if you really want it like a really good come up like if you're thinking about buying an rx7 like a fd do it now don't do it tomorrow because you're really on like the brink of not being able to afford one okay
So I think that if you want a 300ZX uh, twin turbo or a, a Z32, a, yeah, a Z32 They're or a 3000 GT VR4, you're probably safe for a little bit. Oh, really? I thought they I were would already still buy gone. an R34. I, I, I would still buy a 3000 GT VR4 in good condition. A like, Spider, I would. I would buy any of the VR4s in good condition right now because those will go up eventually. But like right now, it's like buying buying a 3000 GT is like buying Dogecoin at three cents right now. Good God, man! Like you're gonna like, your analogy is bad, and you should feel bad. No, I mean buying a buying Dogecoin three cents. I'm still, I, my, Except, I turned I turned 150 dollars into 2,000. I'm still sitting there. I lost like 800 dollars in the last week, but I still have a long term hold for a collector vehicle. Well, I'm just saying, like, well, I'm just coin. saying, like where you are as far as the value goes, because like Dogecoin's sure. never gonna. You're at the beginning edge of the curve. Yeah, you're at the very beginning of the curve. Whereas the RX7, you're like about like the 20 cent mark on that curve and i think that it's like you're at the 20 cent mark before it flies up to 70 cents so buy them all now because let's be honest the fdrx7 the z32 so the 90 to 99 300zx twin turbo and the 3000 gtvr4 are the most maintenance intensive versions of those competitors from the 90s so they're the last ones to appreciate there pick them up yeah pick them up i mean you're gonna enjoy them and the fd is definitely the prettiest of the bunch I am inclined to agree with you. Anyway, I'm going to paradigm shift from <laughs> 90s rotary cars into electric hybrid systems. That's fair. Well, the, actually, I mean, they were thinking about using a rotary for a hybrid, uh, like, gas, like, range, or something like that. Well, they're super compact. In fact, the BMW i3 was supposed to have a rotary in it, but they uh, were worried about oil consumption, so they ended up going with a little two-cylinder motorcycle engine instead. Imagine the look on, like, all the random Karen's faces who buy... Excellent. Um, it, imagine the look on all the random Karen's faces who would buy, like, a BMW i3 with the gas engine range extender and then finding out it's a rotary and have to do all this weird rotary maintenance. So that'd just be like the wildest thing to me. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I'm a little distracted right now. But um, <laughs> doing, um, yeah, so it makes sense that I would put in just a conventional ga- like piston engine. Um, but yeah, so th- that would be probably a bad idea. But however, I think Mazda, they could get away with it because Mazda's like, th- you well, know what a, Ma- what a rotary is if you're buying a Mazda. There's that, and, yeah, you have that name synonymous with it. I mean, you go back to the 60s, and you get the, the late 60s with the Cosmo. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, Mazda's the only company that was able to take the rotary and actually not go out of business because of it, even though they got really close as well to going out of business. They did. They, I mean, it was like the Avon time, especially with the Renesis, the RX-8 engine. That thing was not bad, nearly... Such a bad engine in every How did way. they go back in time so much? Because it's noticeably they, worse than even like the FB engine. They, they had to, literally because of emissions. It was entirely based off emissions. That's why it's never turbocharged or anything. And I'm going to actually stop there because the next episode we're going to talk about these engines. So yeah. I'm going to get into hybrid systems. Yeah. So I want to start with the different types um, this is a Patreon topic, by the way. I oh. elected to take one of these out today just because they're usually a little bit more in-depth, and I figured this was a better venue for that. But um, you think of hybrid, and you probably think of what? A Prius? Yeah. You think of an Insight? Uh, yeah. Well, actually, I like the Insight. Well, the first actually, I'm not, not going to lie. The first-gen Prius is kind of a cool car. I'm it is. Gonna... Let's say, like, the oh, first... Yeah, the car brings joy to me. Like, when I say it's a cool car, it's not fun to drive. But when I see it... I get a little happy. It brings me joy, so it's a cool car. Have you driven a first-gen Prius? I guess not. It's an Echo, so it might actually be fun. But it doesn't have a manual. That's true. At least the first-gen Insight was a Actually, stick. there were the Toyota 
Aqua, which is the Prius C in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's like the best-selling car in Indonesia, if I'm not mistaken. But um, they actually had a one-make race series in Japan for those. And there's like a ton of aftermarket support for them. That's, like I, they make like suspension stuff and exhausts and everything. I feel like it would just overheat. No, like they, the they, did, they did quite good. Because like the engine usually... When the engine and transmission open, are fine, but there's no way you're getting any benefit from the hybrid system probably not. racetrack. Probably not. But I mean, like they had like a, a racing series with them and everything. And like they did fairly decently because they were just light and nimble. And it was just Toyota using their Toyota suspension technology that they do from like all their cool cars they used to make and put it into a very not cool car. But anyway, Again, it was knowing a that that exists, chassis. it makes me almost like if I could ever find a Prius C for like super cheap, I'd totally put like an HKS exhaust on it. And like, they sound be. so bad because they're oh, Atkinson they're awful. They're awful. awful Which sounding. again, we'll talk about next episode, <laughs> but I'm going to try to keep the digressions off here. So I think of when I honestly, let's, I think of a second gen Prius when somebody says hybrid and yeah. that's not high praise. So we're talking a 2005 to like 2009. You don't, you don't, you don't really think of like McLarens no. and stuff, which is like what hybrids are now. Exactly. <laughs> and that's, that's a really good point. The McLaren, cause it's kind of like, that's a through the road system where it has the front axle is completely driven by electricity and the rear is driven by either an electric motor and or combustion power. So that is an example of a parallel hybrid system, whereas something like a first-gen Chevrolet Bolt is a series hybrid. So if you were to think of like a diesel locomotive where your electric is fully hooked up to a generator yeah, and that, has that's no a parallel, physical yeah. motivation. You know, it's funny. I used to think of like parallel hybrids. No, as, that's a series. Oh, that's a series? I used to think of parallel hybrids as being like the more boring of the two, but like... They now, are. Yeah, well... Because it's a Prius. Okay, so the Prius is the... Is the it has a mechanical connection between the engine and the wheels. Oh, yeah, that's what it is. I, I learned all this in AutoTech, and I was very busy not caring. That's kind of why I'm covering it, because it is actually interesting. Yeah. But well, it's interesting now, but it's like when I was in AutoTech, I was way too busy playing my, like, NES emulator with, like, the, like, some racing game from Japan. And this, in AutoTech... And when we were in high school and early college years, hybrids were still in their pretty early time, and people driving them were... I didn't want to hear anything about them. (laughs) Well, it's too bad. I'm going to tell you anyway. (laughs) Uh, Oh, no. Who? That's Dan Balto. Yeah, I know it's Dan Balto. (laughs) But I have headphones on, so I can't hear him. (laughs) It's really difficult not swearing while doing this, because now I've got a microphone, like, and people hear me. So, so I far, like he's doing think. very well. I'm very proud of him. Yeah. Um, so anyway, the second generation Volt actually was like the only series of vehicle I can think of that had multiple generations, and they switched from a parallel to a series or vice versa. That sounds very GM. It is. And because I think they actually did it because of customer feedback. I, I was just saying it's just very GM because they would totally just like have like some massive change in their vehicle and just retain the same name. And the beauty is the second gen Volt lasted for like two years too, and they put all this R and D effort. <laughs> Nobody bought it because the the first gen was actually a series hybrid, so it it was built on a Chevrolet Cruze platform, so it had a four cylinder engine yes. mounted transversely in the front. To yeah. a transaxle. You look under the hood and you're like, oh, yeah, that's got that's got to be a parallel. It's got to have a direct connection. But it turns out that thing actually has two planetary reduction drives in it, and it has a generator and a motor in it, but they are not directly connected mechanically. Whereas in the second-gen Volt, there is a third clutch that lets you connect the engine straight to the wheels for highway fuel, fuel economy. That's so weird. 
So that's got to be the weirdest looking transmission. Great idea because it gives you much better highway fuel economy. But at the same time, it's kind of compromised because A, it's more complex, B, it's yeah. heavier, yeah. and C, it's way more expensive. Yeah. So why they did that, especially for a vehicle that kind of knew they were going to mercy kill, is kind of beyond me. But Well, this, they, I assume that they'd have another bailout. So <laughs> They were probably counting on it, and it just never I happened. wonder if there's like some stipulation in the bailout where it's like, you have to make two generations of this car, and I can't crap. Well, the, the <laughs> you bolts. have to spend so much money on R&D in this car, and they'd like already basically done it. So like, all right, we have like... A, 80% of our R&D budget for these two generations that so you have to dump into one car and they just like dump it into like the last gen and they're like, all right, cool, and I can kill it. I feel like they just had a budget and they had to waste the rest of the money. I think that's honestly, it was something along those lines. So I've kind of covered the Volt there. Um, I want to talk about, there's two different main types of hybrid as well. Ones we've been talking about so far are plug-in hybrids. So yeah. PHEVs, but Priuses were mild hybrids. So typically a mild hybrid is a non-plug-in. It's just yeah. got a nickel metal hydrator, lithium battery in it, and all it can do is charge from regenerative braking or from the motor generator. Okay. So it can pull power in from the gas motor or in from your brake system, but it but can't it, actually pull from it the can't, grid. It can't just like operate on the electric motor. It can't like charge like an EV, and then have and then once you're out of EV juice, switch over to gas. Right. It, typically, they don't have an all electric mode because their accessories can't be driven off of just the electric system. So I've noticed with PHEVs, <laughs> it's like. Namely, the Mitsubishi Outlander is the one I see the most because it's probably the cheapest or something. Um, <laughs> Which is a, a good example of a series hybrid. Yeah, but I always see them just parked on the side of the road and people never plug them in. <laughs> they have never, I've seen like maybe two in my entire life <laughs> plugged in to anything. And that's unfortunate because like it's actually got a pretty good battery pack. <laughs> and honestly, using that used. just for regen is kind of a bummer. So how long, I wonder how long the battery works on like a because I wonder if like you can get just like a totally cheap like clapped out Outlander like PHEV where the engine's just totally blown out because like the person just didn't do any oil changes ever and now the like every cylinder's oval board and just, all the oil like just blows through <laughs> yeah like all the oil just blows on top of the piston. I wonder if you can just get with that and just plug it in every day and just drive like a normal vehicle. You should be able to. Obviously, you'll have a lot of warnings. But yeah. The, <laughs> well, the, I mean. But I think that's going to be the future of very cheap EV ownership. It's going to be some clapped out PHEV. For plug-in hybrids, I agree, because typically those will have an AC-driven air conditioning compressor. So alternator, alternating current-driven air conditioning. I know there's two ACs there. They will have a resistive mm -hmm. heater, so you don't need engine coolant to heat the cabin. And they'll have you know electric power steering as well. So, yeah, so something a mild hybrid would need an engine to run, something like the Outlander can do with just a battery. You know, you could also probably do is if you have, like, say, probably, I'm thinking, like, 30 years down the line when, like, gas engines are just impossible to live with. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you just, like, remove the gas engine part and just put in an additional battery. Well, you could do that, or you could put in an additional electric driveline and hook oh, it all true, together. Yeah. Because you can already buy aftermarket motor electronics. Yeah, that's true. Three-phase motor controllers, battery management systems, yeah. batteries. So, yeah, I think that's... We've talked about this well, in the past. I just past. think because like, the, the gas be... engine's effectively a range extender on the PHEV. So, if like, you just replace the mm -hmm. gas engine with additional batteries, it's like it's, you're fine. A FEV or PHEV is such a non-committal decision. You want an electric car, but you refuse to yeah, do it. Yeah, exactly. So it's, I really have mixed that's, feelings that's, about that's, this. I, I've always had a problem with them because of that, but now I'm thinking about it, I'm like, actually, this kind of makes sense, I guess. Some of them, if you have like a 15 kilowatt hour battery or something like 30 miles of usable plug-in range, you know, that's fine. You know what it reminds me of? It's like, 
getting a early diesel Volkswagen that also has like a two-cylinder gas engine in the back for like, I don't want to have to smell diesel all the time, so I have a gas engine as well. It's like, why do you even have this? Like, why'd you buy the diesel? Like, just buy the EV. Please tell me that doesn't exist. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Okay, but I mean, like, I feel like that's what it reminds me of is it just seems like you just... Oh, I don't, I don't really want to deal with this, but I want to say I have it. <laughs> are you saying that they're engineering around a problem that doesn't exist? Yes, okay. it's exactly that. It's exactly what PHEVs are. But, I mean, like, at the same time, you know, hey, when their engines are totally clapped out, now you have uh, a totally fine EV that's never been used. I think so. the FEV is going to be a great donor for EV conversions because they do have pretty beefy electric motors. Yes, I think so. They have that's pretty cheap battery packs yeah. that are not necessarily big enough for a full-on EV conversion. But if you could buy maybe two of them. Didn't the, what was it, the Toyota Highlander had a EV, uh, hybrid version? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I the Highlander was, did, the RX-400, they had, the RAV4. Have you ever seen the Highlander uh, EV? The rear like, drive unit? Yeah, the rear drive they're unit. They're super cool. They're only yeah, like they're, 75 horsepower, but they're really cheap. Yeah, and they're they're super cheap, and they're really compact, and I think that that's like a great donor mm-hmm. for EV swapping like light old cars. cars. Yeah. Light, old light cars. Just yep. like you have a Mini, you want to make it like, you want to make it EV? There you go. Do you have... Like a Morris Minor. Oh, yeah. A Morris Minor would be a oh, perfect God. example. What a terrible car. Well, actually, they're very fun. They have a racing pedigree, weirdly enough. I, I did not know about until I was playing Forza. I realized that all these weird rally lights you can put on it, and I looked it up, and they actually have an extensive racing pedigree. I just think of Junkyard Wars, that old UK TV show, oh, yeah. whenever <laughs> I hear the, the term Morris. But, yeah, I, I'm familiar with those. They have a Toyota engine code, but, yeah, it's like we're talking $150 for one of those drive lines. Yeah, so it's a perfect example of these, like, PHEVs and just HEVs in that case. Mm-hmm. being donors for future swaps. So I guess you're right. Yeah, I, I guess I shouldn't have disdain for PHEVs. I should talk more soccer moms into buying them so they can just like totally wear out the gas engine and I'll have a perfectly good EV to swap in at some point. Yeah, because screw e-waste. Who cares? Well, I mean, also another example of perfect vehicles, like old Subarus. True. Because like my yeah, Subaru GL10 was like the maximum Subaru performance in 1986 at 110 horsepower. So if you That's ran entirely two... If, well, I mean, if you run one eighty-six horsepower like hybrid uh, Toyota Highlander unit, you're having the same amount of horsepower as like a normal trim level, like Subaru GL. But now you have like three times as much torque, so yeah. you still gonna feel like a rocket ship, and you're still gonna not overpower the braking system. Actually, that's a perfect swap. I still <laughs> think you should run two of those motors on an old Subaru. That'd be cool. All right, just run the one. Like, just put just it in the back. Drive. Yeah, just run it in the back, rear-wheel drive, and then the take the engine and put a battery pack there. The differentials in those units are kind of weak. I mean, it's really... The car weighs 2,000 pounds, dude. I know, as long as you're not, like, overclocking the motor, which I know is no, the wrong term for that. I don't think you would. I think you okay. just... You just Pop it in, and you, you go. You have a 185 series tire. You're gonna blow the. You're gonna blow that tire off the road immediately as soon as you step on that gas. Maybe. So you can do a burnout in it. You can have an EV. You can do it cheap, and yeah, like why would I? Why am I even putting an LS into my Subaru? Why don't I do that? Well, it's not think, too late. Uh, I, I've already kind of committed mentally. I think I might end up buying another. Like maybe I'll get like a 70s, like a like a Brat or something, and do that. I think it'd be cool. I think just do the Civic first. They're more interested in the throttle. No, no, it's a, it's a Civic. Civic uh, is first. And then I have the Cressida, which really just needs a torque converter realigned. Then it's Subaru. And then, so Subaru's probably going to happen this winter or next spring. Fair enough. 
At least you have space to work on, I know. Yes, I do. I'm very excited for that. So, all right. So we're moving on from plug-in and hybrid electric vehicles to actual... Is that all of them? Or so... Okay, so the through road. What's this last part? Through the road hybrid. So that is a, a we were just talking about that with the RX four hundred, with the Outlander, the Pacifica. Okay, so, so the ones where you just throw that on. It's a, yeah, it's a series hybrid where the electric motivation comes from a completely different axle from the combustion. So speaking of through road uh, hybrids, the Lexus GS mm-hmm. they had a V eight hybrid. Yeah, which is super weird. Or I, no, I thought it was a 2GRFE that they had, like, the 4 or 500 badge on with a, with a hybrid no, system. No, they, they, it was a V8. It was just their smaller V8. Okay. And they had a hybrid for, like, a little bit. So I remember when Ben from Japanese Nostalgia Car was buying his car, he had his hybrid system that he, that he was doing. Or he was trying to, like, find one that didn't have the hybrid system. And they actually had, like, you could order it, like, not like Kobo, but, like, you could, like, actually order it from Lexus. Okay. And they had, like, I think he had, like, I think Harry had, like, a... Five liter, or a f- they had like the the V8 out of like the Land Cruiser or something that was available sure. on them. So it's even more power. It's really really cool. And they got like it was a one of one hundred car because it came in this like also special order white. I remember those because yeah. they were advertised as the hybrids that weren't for efficiency. They were for power. But yeah, these ones. Uh, they, well, they so you could only get in dealership the V8 with the hybrid engine, hmm. but you could order it with a larger V8, no hybrid. It, but you'd have to order it. They wouldn't like it wasn't normal dealer stock. But okay. anyway, Ben was able to find one of those, and unfortunately, the car got destroyed and got T-boned. But it was one of the weirdest things. Like he, I had never even heard of it, and I, I can't remember what it's called. It was like a 480 or something. Well, I think there were 460s and like a 500. Because I mean, I think they're two current V8. The NA. This is like this is in like 2011, I think 2009. Even like still, that era. we're talking like the first year of that style GS, though, yeah. right? Yeah, I think that was a five liter. I can't remember. Option. I'll have to ask him next time I see him. It's the ISF engine. So, uh, speaking of Toyota, actually, um, what do you think Toyota's equivalent is to like an E30 M3 for like a forty thousand dollar collector car? Uh, I would say the '90 Celica Alltrack. You're not right at all. Yeah, yes I am. No, you're not. Yes. <laughs> Click on the link that's in the notes because it is absolutely not that. It is. Like, the last of the V8s for an AE86, it is the uh, last good AE86 GTS. No, this is no, no. Mm-mm. Because the Alltrack has a racing pedigree. Okay. It's worth about the same doesn't amount matter. of money. doesn't matter. This is a cool car. No, it doesn't matter. This is this like is a standard the, E30. To, no, th- this, to Toyota enthusiasts, is more sought after than whatever Celica you're thinking of. Yeah, but this has no racing pedigree. It, the AE86 GTS doesn't have a racing pedigree? No. Yes, no, it does. Like it's got track. a much better racing pedigree than the Maybe track, in Japan. Actually. No, like worldwide in touring car racing. Mm. It's actually got a touring car racing. I'm getting you to see this evidence. It, if you look up A86 in one. On like, my garbage iPad? No, thank you. Uh, we're not going to do that on the iPad. <laughs> but uh, no, A86s do have a racing pedigree. And plus, I mean, the later drifting. I really love that all it. of these had four-spoke wheels. Yes, yeah, they only came with four-spoke <laughs> wheels or, out, or uh, hubcaps. But uh, yeah, this one sold for... $40,000. For A86. That's the thing is... We're talking about an 85 Toyota Corolla. So what, what it is is 85 is the first year A86 yeah. U.S. market, uh, completely unmolested, in really, really, really good condition. How many with, miles? Let's see here. 112,000. Irrelevant. It's an A86 GTS. <laughs> there are more Ferrari Enzos in the world than there are unmolested A86 Corollas. 
Are, okay, here's here's a question for you. Are there more unmolested AE86s or yellow Honda Civic hatchbacks that haven't caught on fire? Um, oh, AE86s, because the other one's just a number that is zero. <laughs> but, like, this is, like, I would venture to say there's under 100 of these left wow. in that condition. In this country or worldwide? It, worldwide. Wow. That's why I'm saying, like, when I say this car is, like, the equivalent to the BMW E30, where it's, like, how sought after this car is like yes the celica whatever it's better okay cool but also so is the mr2 nobody cares the a86 is the one that you really want this even has rust on it yeah i know <laughs> <laughs> but it's like more that or less amazing good. i i understand just how rare this is because of its condition yes. and how much it sold for yeah it sold for forty thousand dollars and so if you're wondering what the previous record was it was twenty five thousand five hundred with no rust but also no clear coat left um, this was a clear coat paint job in 85? Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah, very, very nice. A clear coat red, as a, for those of you that don't know, was not like technically possible until pretty recently. Yeah, they were, uh, it, it, yeah, it was a really advanced car for a time. I mean, if you don't know, if you're not like a super Toyota fan or mild Toyota fan, or yeah, you should if, be. You, if you can't fog a mirror, um, <laughs> what, they, what makes that car special is it's got the 4AGE, which is a 1.6-liter Yamaha cylinder head, dual-overhead cam, mm -hmm. four-valve per, per cylinder, uh, four-cylinder that made 116 horsepower, which doesn't sound like a whole lot, but the way you say That's this, it made spicy. 116 horsepower of a 1.6-liter engine, and it was designed in the 70s. And also, it was like, put into production weighs. in 1983 in the MR2. Uh, it is, then makes that a very spicy engine. Um, Especially when you're hauling around a whopping 2,000 pounds. Yeah, that car like weighs 2,000 pounds wet. Like That's curb weight. With people <laughs> in it, I think. Um, the, it's a very, very lightweight car. It's got live rear axle. Uh, it's got independent front suspension. I guess I do have to say that since it's got a live rear axle. <laughs> but front disc, rear, rear drum. like It's a totally normal car. But it's, what they did is they perfectly balanced it and... The they had a huge aftermarket for them because uh, they were coming off of the previous E70 generation Corolla, which was popular, but then this just blew it out of the water, and it was the last rear-wheel drive Corolla. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so they uh, they actually did have like a really good racing pedigree. Um, within one racing with two ring car racing, they also did uh, a lot of rally racing for lower uh, levels. So not like Group B, obviously. Sure. But like, I think it's like called Group C or something. It was like for your normal car thing. But it actually did really well in rally. Um, but then it really exploded during drifting and yeah. from, a, from initial D. And they went from being like bananas expensive or bananas sought after but like still affordable mm -hmm. to completely unbelievably expensive. I, the, I've seen – I remember when like in 2009 you could still get them for like – Fifteen hundred bucks for like wow. a really crappy one. Um, I saw one that was misadvertised as a Camry for five hundred bucks, and I called the lady, and uh, she—it was the rustiest car in the world I've ever seen. I'm like, I'll be there with eight hundred dollars right now. She goes, it's driving away as we speak, and I yelled at her, <laughs> mad. I told her it wasn't actually a Camry. I told her it's a '86, and that car is worth. You put a zero behind your your price point, Even and that's what the car is one. worth. Yeah, I mean, and like running the like your seat was coming out of the floor, but like it's still it was worth it. It's an A86. It still has a running 4A GE. Oh no, that was that, that was that was a, a 4A carburetor. Oh, or a 3A, I think is what they're called. So not even a GTS. No, oh, no, a 3E. Yeah, I th no, it was, I can't remember what it was called, but yeah, it was a carbureted engine. It was a SR5. It was and it was automatic. It was bad. 
but it was well worth $5,000 by comparison. That's and that, disgusting. That's another example of, like, the bottom of that car was mm-hmm. very close to what the top was. Sure. And so to get a good one, now everybody's going to have to fight over it. So this is an 80s G-Wagon? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Okay. Or like, 80s, the FDR-X7. <laughs> I was just, like, coming back to earlier. Just... I think you probably missed the boat on these, though. Yes. I think that you could probably... Trying to think of the best way to buy a six right now. The best way to do it is to get a. Are they cheap in any part of the world? No, they're expensive everywhere. You can get like a a pretty crappy one in Japan and bring it to America. I think you'll be okay. If you can find one that's like mildly modified, you're not getting anything collectible. That's mm-hmm. any affordable vehicle at this point. But it's like trying to buy an E30 right now. Like, what would be the best way to buy an E30? It's like, you 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 want it mildly modified. You buy a four-door automatic 87 325i. Well, I should say E30 M3. Oh. How do you... uh, The best way to buy an E30 M3. You buy a track car, and you try to convert it back over time. It's kind of what you got to do with the A86. Yeah. You got to do that, and then you go to, like, what country is our E30 M3 is most abundant in? Here, the United States. So it'd be like buying one here if you lived in Japan, but, like... They're more abundant in Japan, the E86, so you'd probably want to buy a Japanese market one. Get what you can get. Are it's, they more or less valuable as right-hand drive cars? I know Japan isn't, but... In America, they're worth a little bit less just because they're a little, they're known to be a little more common and a lot more sketchy. Okay. Yeah, so... So get a right-hand drive one. Yeah, just get a right-hand drive <laughs> one. I think you'll have a cooler car, and it'll be a little bit cheaper, but, like, I'm not saying, like, it's ever going to be, like, really affordable, but, like... Where you'd be paying like thirty five thousand for an American car, you could probably get away with like twenty twenty five. Right, man, twenty five twenty seven thousand probably. That's reasonable if the car is in nice shape. Yeah, like, and it's not gonna be like great. It's not gonna be like Concours. We're talking like driver quality, definitely driver quality. Mm-hmm. But when I say a nice driver quality car, I'm saying like you have your interior panels; they're all there. You have all your body panels in a similar color. Like, <laughs> so we're not talking the frame know, paint rails original. are not structurally deficient. <laughs> It probably has been crashed several times. Well, that's fine, as long as but it hasn't it, been on fire. It more or less looks like a car. Sure. Like, that's what I'm talking about for, like, one that's functional. You, you can, can drive it, and you can experience why people like A86s. And you that. can take it to a car show. Exactly. Which you, is what you want to do. You can, be, you can be able to drive it, and people go, wow, it's a cool A86. Like, that's what you can do with, like, a $27,000 A86. Sure. Know? So, but, um, yeah, that, that is a car where you've missed the boat. So, you, if you are at all into don't RX-7s, mean. don't be, like... A86 world where you're now having to like fight for scraps because good ones are $40,000 for a 35 year old Corolla. <laughs> and like that, that's a really nice one, but by like a modern collector car standards, that thing's in terrible condition. Oh, if that was a Jaguar, nobody'd touch on the 10 foot pole, but like it's A86. Also, you can fix it with a hammer. Like True. nobody cares. Yeah, that, that rusty area wouldn't have been a big deal. No, so. it would have been fine. Just, and, and the car's boxy, so it's not like you have to like custom make. The custom made panels aren't difficult. And it's a 4A with a live axle and a manual. Like, there's nothing to go wrong. And a limited slip differential, actually. I did see that. Yes, a limited slip differential, which is, like, amazing. I'm sure that's working properly. It actually might be, because they were mechanical. But they were, um, yeah, they were uh, all removed. Every one of them. Every single one went to a different A86 that didn't have one. Oh. (laughs) I'd probably say there's more A86 GTS limited slip differentials in every other car in the world than there are functional A86s left. That's kind of sad. Yeah, that's what I think. So, there's your uh, 
ending on that note. <laughs> I'm going to say we'll end on the car alarm for episode number one. I think that's coming from the car queens booth. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, hey, come to the auto show. Yep. We'll see you, you guys here you live. You might be able to get a beer. I, we might be able to hook you up with that. Uh, otherwise, if you're with us on Twitch, keep right on watching. We will start with episode 217 in just a couple of minutes. I'm getting